So many of us grow up as athletes. So whether it's high school sports or college sports, you know, whenever there comes a time to transition away from that, oftentimes we have to take a step back and look at, you know, how maybe we've let being an athlete, identi- you know, become part of our identity, which can be, you know, okay, but how do we separate ourselves, like who we are from the athlete or the performance that we've had? and being able to look at that in a, a little bit of a different light and then look at how we want to use exercise or training to support where where our purpose is. Like you said, to support our wire, to support where, where we're going in life. Let's rock. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pure Ambition Podcast. This is episode 101. I'm your host, Dom Fusco, and I appreciate you guys tuning in today. With me, I have Dr. Julie Fouché. Dr. Julie is a four-time CrossFit Games athlete, family physician and expert in the field of precision medicine. Her passion lies in bridging the gap between fitness and medicine to empower individuals to live healthier, more fulfilling lives. She currently works as a practicing physician with Wild Health, a lifestyle-first, data-driven and preventative approach to your health. In this episode, Dr. Fouché goes deep into her time competing in the CrossFit Games where she was a four-time top five finisher while being in med school, how important rest and recovery is for optimal performance, the importance of having a why in our training, but also everything we do in life, how our emotional and spiritual health affects our health and performance, why she decided not to go the traditional primary care route, what precision medicine is and how it can drastically improve our health and quality of life, the role that breath work and meditation play in our overall health, the five things we can all do today to positively impact our health and much more. Now I'm personally working with Wild Health and it has really, really been just unbelievable in terms of what they're able to provide you on a personal basis, um, provide me on a personal basis to optimize my current health, my performance, longevity, everything. And I believe that health is our biggest asset, so we should be investing in it just like we invest money for our future. Wild Health is the future of healthcare, in my opinion. And if you're curious about what it is, it's a precision medicine service that offers personalized, genetic-based healthcare to maximize your health span. They dedicate a care team to guide each patient through their tailored and personalized health plan to completely transform their physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. It's, like I said, it's really cool. I have my own health coach. I have my own doctor that works with me personally to help optimize my overall health and performance. And if you are interested in optimizing your health and your performance so that you can become the best version of yourself, guaranteed, head to the link in the show notes and use code Dominic20 to get 20% off your subscription to Wild Health. I can't tell you guys how valuable this will be for your overall health and well-being. Now, let's dive into it with Dr. Julie Fouché. Dr. Julie Fouché, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and chat with you, Dom. Now, I I mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of your show, Pursuing Health. And I think that's such an interesting and enticing name for a podcast. But also, like, we're all pursuing health in some way, shape or form. So how did you come up with that name for the podcast, Pursuing Health? Oh, that's such a great question. I don't think I've been asked that before. I, uh, you know, one of the interesting things is that I, at the end of the podcast, ever since I started it, started it, I always ask the question, what does a healthy life look like to you? And I've gotten such a wide variety of answers from, you know, really specific answers about nutrition or sleep or exercise to bigger picture answers, things like balance or, you know, looking at fulfillment or joy in life. And, and I think, for all of us, whether we think about it or not, health is a really big factor in whether we're able to experience life to the fullest, become the best versions of ourselves, fully live out the purpose that we're here on this earth for. And the goal that I've always had is for health not to be holding me back, for health to be, you know, not something that you have to think about every day or that limits you in what you want to do, but that you just feel healthy and vibrant and you can you can really embrace life. And so when I was starting the podcast, it was in this transition time between when I had been competing in the CrossFit Games as an athlete and then was moving more into my full-time medical role and finishing medical school. And so for me, it was about bridging this gap between, you know, the fitness community and thinking about health on a much wider scale. And I think that that CrossFit does such a beautiful job of that. CrossFit has always been about health 
um, and empowering people to live longer, healthier lives. It's not just about the competition or your performance in the gym. And so it was a cool venue for me to be able to start to talk to people and open that conversation and has allowed me to then evolve through the years. So initially it was a lot of fitness athletes, coaches, fitness related conversations. And now the conversations are much more wide ranging and having to do with health, but not just our physical health, our, you know, mental health, emotional, spiritual health. There's so many facets of, of health that are fun to explore. That's so good. I love that. And health looks different for every single person. And it even looks different in various stages of life. Like for you, I'm hearing that health for you at one point was more performance driven when you were Mm -hmm. competing in CrossFit. And now for you, it's more so like just putting yourself in the right frame of mind, making you feel better so you can show up better for your patients, for, you know, your loved ones, for the people around you. So how is what did health look like when you were competing and what does health look like now where that's not as big of a part of your, your life is your training. That's such a great question. And, and I think ties in well, as we think about even how CrossFit defines health is that, you know, the founder of CrossFit always had this great analogy um, looking at, you know, fitness as a snapshot of your health in time, just in a similar way to how weather is a snapshot of climate. You know, it might not be, you could be in a a climate that's generally funny all the time, but you catch it on one day and it's, you know, thunderstorming. It's not the full picture, but it's just a snapshot in time. And I think the same goes for fitness where we can be really fit at a moment in time, but if we're not having supporting healthy behaviors from all facets of our life, you know, that could quickly turn into disease, um, you know, before you expect it. So I I bring this up because I think there were times when I was competing and when I was an athlete where my health actually was suffering, but I had really great performance. So those two things don't always have to come together. And I think that people, you know, when you're competing at a high level, sometimes you make those decisions intentionally because your goal is the short-term performance. So sometimes you take shortcuts or you, um, you know, you push your body to the limits because you want to be able to perform well, knowing that maybe long-term it might not be as, as helpful for your health. Um, so, you know, for me, when I was competing, a lot of that looked like, obviously I was training a ton. And so the training volume and intensity was probably a bit more stress on my body than would be ideal for long-term health. And in order to balance that out, I think that's, very doable for people, but in most situations, you have to balance that out then with the appropriate rest and recovery. So that's where I think, you know, especially in the CrossFit community, people can get, um, uh, it can be a little bit deceptive because you see these athletes and they're training so much and they're performing at such high level. And there's a lot of people who want to do that and emulate that for, you know, their level of competition. But if you're, these athletes are at that level because that's their job. So they're training, but then when they're not training, they're recovering. They are paying a lot of attention to their nutrition. They're getting tons of sleep. They're, you know, spending a lot of time and attention on their recovery practices. So for me, it was a high training volume, but I don't think I had appropriate recovery because I was also always in school. So I was also always like having stress coming at me from other angles. Um, I, I was always pretty good about sleep. So that was something I knew I needed to protect. And I always, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that can get away with a few hours of sleep. I just don't feel my best. Um, and then I did have a lot of emphasis on good quality nutrition for me, um, during that time. Um, so I think, I guess in, in terms of how that's changed now, I don't have the training volume and even the psychological stress of training as, as things that weigh on me every day. And I didn't realize how much that psychological stress was, how much of it was really there until it wasn't there because you just get so used to it. And I remember the day after, you know, I was done competing in CrossFit and I knew I was going to move towards, um, towards full-time med school. I, it was like, wow, this huge weight is lifted off my shoulders. I didn't realize I was living with this stress every day, but it's the stress of, of always having to be like, okay, I have to get in all my training today. I have to sleep this much. I have to make sure I eat this much. I can't stay out with my friends or like all these little decisions that weigh on you because you know, it's going to add up and it's going to count, you know, later on when the competition comes around. So, you know, I don't have those stressors of the high training volume and the psychological stress of training, but I try to balance, you know, those healthy practices 
um, still in a way that supports my, my general health now and, and supports in a, in a much more rounded, well-rounded way. So it's not so much on the physical performance, but it's how am I performing in life and my job and my relationships, um, in, you know, being able to develop the different like tools and skills that I have. That's so good. I'm curious too, what this question might be a little twofold, but what did a day look like for you in full-time med school, training for the CrossFit games, trying to get enough sleep? I know that there are some things that you have to say yes, that you say yes to in turn, you say no to other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, the focus being med school and CrossFit. And so some of the mm-hmm. other things like you mentioned, like time with friends or family or doing this, that, and the other might've taken a back seat in this time period of your life. Yeah, I would love to hear what a day would look like, you know, from like starting, uh, also like getting in enough nutrition, getting in the proper nutrition throughout the day, training classes, all that. And then kind of to cap that question off is like what you, what you learned from that and what you took from that and how you now apply that to your life where you're still busy, you're still doing a lot, but you know, your time is, is dedicated to other areas. It's a great question. So I, I can't say that I'll remember everything perfectly. Cause it's been <laughs> yeah, as, as close as you could remember. Yeah. The general approach. I, so my typical day when I was in med school is I would generally wake up and I would eat breakfast. I think my typical breakfast was usually eggs and some kind of vegetables and a green smoothie. Um, and then, and coffee, And then I would go to class. So where I was in school, usually we had classes somewhere, usually most days between eight and noon. And then most of the afternoons, there was a few afternoons where we had classes or clinicals, but most afternoons were more for kind of free study time. And so I would then usually bring lunch. Um, I often use meal prep services just to make it more efficient, or I'd prep my meals on Sundays and um, would eat lunch. I would um, then stay and study and do, you know, prepare for the next day of the school, usually in the library until about five. Then I would go to the gym. So I would eat dinner at school, whatever my like meal prep was. I would go to the gym and I would usually stay there between, you know, three to four hours most of the year then during the during the busy season and this was early on so this was back in like 2011 12 time frame um during the busy time of year there'd be more training but that would be pretty typical and i would eat you know protein shakes and some uh, oftentimes i'd bring real food with me and i'd eat that right after my workout um i would come home usually around nine sometime between nine and ten maybe do a little bit more schoolwork and then go to bed So it was very, this is during my first year of med school. It was very regimented. There really wasn't much time for anything else. Um, And same thing on the weekends. I would basically wake up on Saturday and go to the gym, have long gym days, Saturdays and Sundays. Um, And then, you know, spend time either with friends or catching up or meal prepping on the weekends. I would try to get a massage, um, spend time with, you know, recovery, things like that. Um, it changed a little bit then as I got into later seasons, like 2014 and 2015, because it was during the time where I was doing research. So I had a little more flexibility. So those days I would do usually a morning gym session and then work and then go back for another evening session. Um, and so it was a lot more, and I was probably training even more volume at that point. Um, so that's what life looked like then. Um, the things that I sacrificed or that I said no to were really big things. Um, so, and I, I definitely experienced the hit for that and, and like understood how important these things are. I, um, that first year of med school. So the day that I kind of just described where I was working out in the evening, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life so far because I just didn't have balance. And I also had been through a lot of other life stresses around that time was adjusting to med school, was trying to still compete in the CrossFit games. And I hadn't really identified with like the why, why I was doing it. It was early enough that I was just like, well, I did well last year. So of course I'm going to go back this year and I think it's possible. So why not? And, and I found myself in a really tough, like a tough space mental health wise. And it wasn't until I finally worked through some of that 
and really identified for myself, why is this important to me? Like, why am I going to med school? Why am I competing in the CrossFit games? And once I identified with that, everything became easy and fun again. And I had the best season that I've ever had in that 2012 year. And so that was one thing that I think was, was difficult. The other thing was I definitely had, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I have, a, I'm very good at a singular focus. So when I know, okay, this thing is most important. I want to make sure that thing gets done and everything else is like less important. And so I was so focused on training that that was always the most important getting my training in and school and everything else kind of fell to the wayside. So that meant relationships, social events, um, even like really having deeper, meaningful relationships with people who were good friends or family, those things all became lower priorities. And I didn't realize how much that affected me until, you know, many years down the line. And it's something that I've really spent a lot of time investing in um, over the last few years and noticed how important all those things are for our, you know, our mental and spiritual and emotional health. Yeah. One thing I've heard you talk about a lot is just how important emotional health is in our overall well-being. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm team whoop. So like I've there you go. <laughs> HRV, HRV and, you know, various things um, yeah. and see how my recovery is and whatnot. And one thing that I have found to be so crazy is that when, even if I don't get as much sleep as I would, you know, on a given night, I could get like seven and a half, eight hours of sleep. Um, but have, it may have been a day where I was like locked in on my computer all day. I didn't really talk to anybody, didn't have yeah. social interaction. I could still wake up like in the yellow, my HRV might, might be lower. Whereas I could get like six hours of sleep, but I was hanging out with my friends or I had great yeah. conversation. I had a good, healthy meal with people. I was smiling. Um, I'll have, a, I'll have a green the next day, you know, yeah. and my HRV will be so much higher. So it's, really, really cool. And I love that you said this just because yes, it's one thing to talk about it, but I'm like, I'm telling you from experience that like what you're saying is truth. And I see it in my own. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought this up because I had a similar observation last week and I'm actually working on, I'm going to probably post it on my Instagram in the next day or two, because I had never seen that so strongly correlated in my HRV, but I am also team whoop and I also wear an aura ring at night. So I track my sleep from all different angles. Very but good. I, um, I, so, so much of it too is about our relationship. So for me, I have, you know, I'm right now in like an, just an incredible relationship and my significant other Lincoln traveled a lot. And so I had not seen him in about a week and my HRV was kind of sticking around. I can't remember the exact number. I think it was like mid fifties and been there for a little bit. And then I, I traveled to go see him in California and all of a sudden my HRV goes up to like 75 and it just like stayed there. And I thought about all the things I did that normally would hurt my HRV. Like I switched time zones. I was going to bed super late. I was eating poorly and eating really close to bedtime. Um, like all these things that normally would make my, I even had like half a glass of wine one night, which normally would plummet my HRV, but instead it went up and it stayed up and it was a really profound increase. And what I kept coming back to was like, I was just really excited to see him. And I was just really excited to be able to spend time together. And, you know, for me, understanding how important those relationships are, but how important it's, it's not just the relationships that we have, or it's not just spending time with people. It's the quality of those relationships. It's like being around people where you can be fully authentic, where you can be yourself, where you feel seen, where you have trust. Like we as humans are so wired to need that. And so having those kinds of relationships in your life, I think is important. And to see it reflected in my HRV was pretty cool. When you look back on your time competing back then, you mentioned like sometimes relationships suffered a little bit um, just because you were so dedicated to mm-hmm. what you're doing at the time. Do you see any correlation now where you look back of like, oh, my performance was a bit better when I was, when I did have those healthy relationships in my life or maybe it wasn't, um, when I didn't have those relationships in my life, do you see any correlation uh, when you look back on it? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if I, if anything sticks out right away. Um, I do think for me, you know, one thing that was hard was I, my coach, 
was back in, in Michigan and I was living in Ohio training for, you know, or doing med school, but I had started CrossFit in Michigan. My coach was there and, and I really did so well in that environment, being in the gym, being able to do workouts with other people, you know, having my coach right there. And so there was a time where during one of my research years where I was able to travel back to Michigan more frequently and be in that environment where I think that was really helpful for me and for my performance versus feeling like every day you have to go to the gym, you're by yourself, nobody's there. And it's just, it feels like you're like trudging through mud every day just to like get everything done. Cause you're so in your own, in your own space, instead of having the, the community and the environment to make it more easier and more fun. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I definitely feel that. Too. I actually don't know if I was tracking my HRV that at that time. So <laughs> I wouldn't have known. Yeah. I, I don't know how popular the wearables and the HRV track. <laughs> I feel like it's really been popularized, uh, over the past at least couple of years. Totally. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit out of your days competing in CrossFit, when did you know it was time for you to I don't want to say hang up the cleats or the spikes or the shoes, <laughs> hang up all, all, all the things that you may wear uh, in CrossFit and then put your energy and focus towards, um, you know, your work. Well, I always feel very lucky with how this unfolded and it was not necessarily intentional. So I, when I started CrossFit, I was in my junior year of college and I was already in the process of applying to med school. So I was studying for my MCAT, you know, starting my med school application. The wheels were already in motion. And after, you know, I didn't expect to qualify to the CrossFit Games that first year. But of course, after I went, well, this is awesome. I want to do it again next year. Um, but I continued to proceed with the, you know, the process of med school. Because at that time, it also wasn't, it wasn't like it is today um, as far as the size of the sport. We didn't, the first year I competed was 2010. There were no sponsors. It was not, you know, the, the thing that it is today. And so then I, you know, competed through med school. Now I knew basically once you start med school, it's very difficult to pause that at any point. And so I delayed things as much as I could. I basically, I was in a program that was a five-year program. So everybody does a year of research and I extended mine over two years. So that gave me an extra season to compete. But I knew that once I hit my clinical training, it was going to be next to impossible to continue training and, and just wouldn't be doing, it would be doing myself a disservice on both, you know, um, endeavors because I wouldn't be able to dedicate the time or energy to, to either of them to do a good job. So I, that was always looming for me is, okay, once I get to clinical training, which is the last two years of, of school, you know, I think that's going to be time. And I always knew that I really, you know, I wasn't going to be an athlete forever. I had this very strong calling to become a doctor. And so, um, you know, it was never really a question to me. I, I actually didn't even ever think about, you know, like quitting med school or putting it on a longer pause in order to continue doing CrossFit it was just sort of a natural progression of like, okay, well, I'm already in school and I took an extra year and I'm, I'm grateful to have had all this time to compete in CrossFit, but now I'm ready to move on and, and focus on my medical training. And I also saw it. So part of that first year for me, that was very difficult was doing a lot of the reflection to understand why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I, you know, creating so much extra stress for myself by trying to compete while I'm in med school? And part of the answer to that question was because I saw it as, as a way to impact um, other people in a healthy way to help empower people to become healthier and live more fulfilling lives. And one way that I could do that was competing and just, you know, inspiring people, connecting with people that way. But eventually I saw the, the potential for my CrossFit career and my medical career to sort of intersect and to be able to bring more of this approach to health and fitness into medicine. Um, which is what I saw as my ultimate purpose. And so I, you know, I saw competing CrossFit as a stepping stone to get there and um, it was a natural progression for me. So, yeah. That's amazing to hear too, that you just felt such a strong calling and that you really had to decipher what your why was and what your intention was, because I think so many people are just doing, th and I, I'm guilty of this too. Like sometimes like when I'm, when I'm doing all of my training, when I'm putting, all of my, you know, putting so much time into like, I, I'm doing marathon, a lot of I'm running marathons mm -hmm. right now. So, okay. but a lot of times 
odd to see like, you know, like, why am I, like, why am I even doing this? What's my, why? Yeah. what's my intention? Um, so there was, there was a time last year where I used fitness as like an escape from like, just not knowing what my why was in terms mm -hmm. of, of life. And I'm very, I'm more clear on the direction that I am trying to go on, like what my purpose is in this life. But at the time I was like spending two, three, four hours training a day. And I was avoiding some of the things that I actually like was, I knew I needed to address. And so like coming up with like a why um, and understanding, okay, now I'm training for a marathon. So I dedicate the time to that, but I'm not spending all this excess time just, you know, doing it just for the sake of doing it. So I think what you said there is super important having a why and having intention. Yes. And it, it was such an important process for me to go through at that time to understand. But I see it's a really hard thing, especially I think because some, so many of us find ourselves in situations that we don't we don't necessarily get there intentionally. And it, it can be easy to just use the momentum to keep going. So for me, like I didn't I started doing CrossFit because I wanted to just be fitter and generally have better health. And that's what it was for me at first. But then I found myself at the CrossFit games. And so I just kept going because people encourage you and they're like, Oh yeah, you're great. Keep going. And, um, and if you don't ask that question for yourself, then you're just doing it for other people. And, and it's so one of the biggest lessons I've learned through, you know, this, all the transitions and process that I've been through in the last few years is how important it is that we do what's really true in our own hearts and not just what other people expect of us. That is what caused me so much pain and not having not having, you know, people around us, like I said, those authentic relationships, the people that can help guide you and help you uncover what that truth is and are not just going to be like, yes, people and just encourage you to do, you know, whatever, whatever you think is, is expected. So I think that's really important. And it's hard from a, from an athletic perspective in particular, so many of us grow up as athletes. So whether it's high school sports or college sports, you know, whenever there comes a time to transition away from that, oftentimes we have to take a step back and look at, you know, how maybe we've let being an athlete, you know, become part of our identity, which can be, you know, okay, but how do we separate ourselves, like who we are from the athlete or the performance that we've had and being able to look at that in a, a little bit of a different light and then look at how we want to use exercise or training to support where, where our purpose is, like you said, to, to support our wire, to support where, where we're going in life. That is so freaking good right there. Oh man. I, I, I could not relate to that more and I couldn't, ah, oh, that's just so good. Okay. <laughs> so we can talk about it, could talk about that in itself all day, but I wanted to move into now what you're doing in terms of wild health and, you know, being a, a master of, you know, precision medicine. And I really would love to learn more about one, like what precision medicine is, why you are not going the traditional, you know, physician route of like, I, I love what you guys, what you've talked about in terms of like, you can't really establish a relationship with a patient if you're only seeing them for 15 minutes every six months. So mm -hmm. I think wild health and what you guys are doing specifically with like the precision medicine and really just helping people optimize their health so that they can have the happiest, healthiest life possible. I think that is really like, the future of medicine. And so I'd love to learn how you got involved with it, how your path, how your path kind of led you to that and, you know, kind of the future of, of where you see it going. Absolutely. So I think for me, pretty early on, I knew I didn't want to be practicing in a conventional system. So I think I was very naive when I started med school and it was during you know, my first year or so that I realized how broken our healthcare system is, how it really is a sick care system. And it's not really designed to help promote health. Um, it's really there to help diagnose disease and, and address acute issues. And it was really obvious to me during those first couple of years, spending time in primary care offices and you'd see people come in with maybe some high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol. And we would talk to them, you know, in our 15 minute visits about, exercise and about eating healthier. And I was really enthusiastic young med student. So I teach them how to do burpees in the office and then you don't see them for six months. So they go back to their lives. And of course, you know, 15 minutes isn't going to have 
that much of an impact on most people. So they come back six months later. Most of the time, nothing has really changed. Their numbers are worse. Now they're being prescribed medications. And that was frustrating to me. Um, mostly, and, and most, mostly because there was such a stark contrast between that and what I was seeing in the CrossFit gym where people were dramatically changing their health. They're losing weight. They're coming off their medications. They're reversing their chronic disease. And I realized that health really isn't created in the doctor's office. Health is more created in your community, the places that you're spending your time, the people you're spending your time with. And it was around that time that I also learned about functional medicine, which is this approach to addressing the root cause. So instead of just diagnosing symptoms and treating them with the the medication, it's trying to identify the root cause of those symptoms and address that, which is typically going to be rooted in our lifestyle. And so I knew that was the type of medicine that I wanted to practice. And then around the time that I finished residency, I was first um, fully introduced to Wild Health and was just really impressed by what they were doing, what they were building, and they were approaching optimizing health through a genetic lens. So this concept of precision medicine being, we want to look at each patient as an individual and know we each have our our individual genetic predispositions, um, our individual preferences, our individual lifestyles. And when we help to design a plan to optimize your lifestyle, optimize your health, we want to take all of that into consideration and hopefully get you toward to your optimal lifestyle more quickly. And so um, I was, I was excited about what they were doing. There was also at that time, um, you know, this, this partnership that we were looking at doing with CrossFit. And so it was this, you know, way for my world to collide, like I had mentioned, seeing that as sort of how I wanted to use medicine in the future. And so joined Wild Health and have really enjoyed working with patients in in this capacity and where it's really about taking a look at, you know, a snapshot of where you are now. What are your labs tell us? What symptoms are you having? Any of your, you know, your whoop data, your wearables, and then looking at any area that we want to optimize then going to look at your genes to say, okay, based on what we know about your genes, Dom, how can we optimize your sleep? What do we think is going to be the best thing for you to optimize your sleep so that it can impact your health? And then let's try it. Let's implement it. And then let's retest it. So we'll look at your whoop markers and see if you're moving in the right direction. And then we'll iterate on that process over and over again to get you towards your optimal state of health. I love that. Is there any specific use case I'm sure there's many, but is there anyone that sticks out to you where maybe somebody like was questioning if this was for them, you know, like, cause it's, you know, it's, that can be, it's, it's different. It's not what we're used to is seeing a mm-hmm. physician, you know, like we're doing right now, like face to face through a computer. Um, was there anybody who like, was like, yeah, I'm not sure about this, but then after like several you know weeks or months working together, like you guys were able to see like some really incredible changes to their health performance, like whatever it may be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons people might be apprehensive to trying the precision medicine approach. So one we're virtual. So like you said, we're meeting with our patients over zoom, which is a little different than you think of in a normal doctor's office. Um, I think that obviously that's very common now post pandemic that, um, you know, telemedicine is likely here to stay. There's a lot of benefits of it. Obviously it's very convenient. You don't have to take time off work and go to the doctor's office and all the travel time and all that waiting and all that stuff. So there's a lot of benefits. There are certain limitations for sure. So, you know, we, if you need an in-person evaluation and exam, there are certain times where we do have to refer you to someone locally. For the most part, it's very convenient. Um, I think the other apprehension that people might have is the genetics. So I think there's a lot of concern about you know, well, I don't, I just would rather not know. Like if I have higher risk for um, dementia or if I have higher risk for cancer, like I'd rather not know about that because I don't want to be worrying about it all the time. And I would say you have to know yourself because there are certainly people who that could cause more anxiety than not. And so you have to know yourself and know if that is true for you. But I will say that all of the, the genes that we look at there is something actionable that we can do about to reduce your risk. So, you know, there is a scenario where maybe you have something called an APOE44, which is a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. Um, But if you don't know about it and you just keep continue living your life and maybe you're 
drinking alcohol a few nights a week and maybe eating sugar and having, um, you know, only getting six hours of sleep because that's just what you've always done, then you probably are going to have higher risk or that risk is going to affect you a lot more. But we know that people with that, you know, genetic predisposition, if they do change their lifestyle, if they avoid alcohol, if they, you know, make sure they get good quality sleep, they avoid insulin resistance and metabolic disease, then their their risk is reduced significantly um, back down towards towards a similar, you know, normal population risk of Alzheimer's. So for a lot of people, that information, it's all how you look at it, right? Is, okay, oh my gosh, oh no, I have this increased risk or, wow, I'm so glad I learned about this because there's so much I can do. And now I'm empowered. I'm taking my health into my own hands. And I know I'm doing everything I can to maximize, you know, my health and longevity and prevent disease. That's so good. And and you're right. Like ignorance is, is not bliss in this sense. That's right. I think so many people approach their health that way, though. It's like one of those, let me just, you know, let me just not know about it. But then I can, I've seen this time after time again, like you do not want to be the person who finds out about it when you get a heart attack or when you get a cancer diagnosis. That is devastating. It's devastating to you. It's devastating to your family. And you know, for so many of these things, there's a lot of things within our control. There's some things that aren't like there are plenty of people who do all the right things and they still have those health conditions. So there's a certain amount that's outside of our control, but there is so much that's within our control. And again, we don't want to obsess over them and stress over them so much that it causes us more anxiety and trying to be perfect in every little area of you know, sleep and nutrition and all that stuff. But if we take the things that are within our control and we generally try to live a lifestyle that is supportive of optimal health, you know, there should be a lot of disease that we can prevent. I'm curious, I'm asked this selfishly too, um, of the athletes that you've worked with, what are some of the interesting things that maybe you've found or like have implemented with some athletes that might not be popularized, um, you know, in terms of like optimizing health and performance? Mm -hmm. That is a really good question. So I think you know, everybody focuses on their training and focuses on nutrition where I see the biggest, um, the things that athletes have the biggest challenges with is on their recovery and stress. So we like to think about, I use this analogy of, you know, if each of us is a bucket and we're, the human body is incredibly resilient and we can hold a lot in that bucket. So throughout life, we're being exposed to a lot of different stressors. You know, we're being you know, we might have stress growing up, like we move schools and have to make new friends, or we eat a lot of processed food, or, you know, we don't get sleep. As we get older, the stress is like, I moved, or I'm having a lot of emails that I have to answer, or um, I, you know, like big life things, like your parents get divorced, or things like that, that are stressors. You also have your lifestyle stressors. So not getting enough sleep is a big stressor. The toxins that we're all exposed to in in our environment are stressors. Um, um, training. So training is a stressor. So we need some exercise, but doing a lot of intense training is a stressor. And so we can hold a lot in our bucket, but eventually there comes a point where that bucket fills up and it starts to overflow. And that's usually when people start to experience symptoms or health conditions. And so our job as part of, you know, part of our job in optimizing our health is trying to minimize the stressors in that bucket and making sure that you have the supportive nutrients and supportive things that you need to be resilient against those stressors. And for high level athletes, like the amount they're, they're constantly playing with dancing on that line of, we want to stress our body just as much as we possibly can get away with so that we get the adaptation and we get the improvement in our fitness or our performance but we don't want to tip over the edge to the point that we're overtrained, right? Or that we start to see a negative effect. And 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 what I see in a lot of athletes, and this is not just, you know, the high level athletes that you, the professional athletes that you see, this is a lot of everyday athletes because you have to look at your overall life stress is that we are starting to tip over that line. And you start to see it play out in things like, you know, GI symptoms or um, hormonal health, um, mental health. There's a lot of different ways that we can start to experience symptoms there, but 
oftentimes it's helping to reequilibrate that balance. And so for a lot of people, that's really doubling down on sleep, making sure getting enough nutrition. So a lot of, a lot of people are actually undernourished for the amount of training they're doing. Um, making sure that you're spending enough time on recovery, getting your body into a parasympathetic state. So spending time on things like meditation and breath work, um, those, those types of things, which are not like the sexy things to talk about, but the things that are actually really, really important. Were those things part of your training when you were, I know, I knew you mentioned like sleep was always a big thing, but some of the other recovery tools and tactics weren't like, I know I've heard you mention breath work and meditation and mm-hmm. some of these other modalities, uh, multiple times, you know, through other podcasts that you've been on and also your own podcast. Do you, did you do them back then or have they more so been introduced to your life more recently? Um, cause obviously if you mention them, uh, as frequently as you do, like they obviously have some, some incredible yeah. benefits. Absolutely. Well, I did dabble in some of them. I mean, but not to the extent that I do now. So when I was training, I did, I did start to do some breath work before training. Um, and I did some meditation, but I have really dove into those types of practices a lot more in recent years as I think as they're, we're just learning more about them and they're becoming more widely known. So, you know, especially in the last two years, I've really taken a deep dive in meditation and, you know, played a lot more with breath work myself and, and some of these other tools, which I think are, as we talk about, you know, emotional health as well, they're really important, just the way that our nervous system is connected to our emotions and, and all these tools are helping to, you know, restore your nervous system into balance. I got to ask with everything that you have going on in life right now, what is one thing that excites you? Oh my gosh. Uh, good question. I mean, so many things that excite me. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I know we've touched on it. <laughs> You've called it out a ton, but I'm really excited about the fact that, um, you know, emotional spiritual health is coming more to the forefront that people are talking about it more because I've come to realize personally how big of an impact it has, but I also see it reflected in so many of my patients. So many people who, you know, we're, we're now understanding so much more about how our nervous system works with our endocrine system, works with our immune system. And when our nervous system is not healthy, it impacts everything else. And it, it can result in so many different types of diseases. And so, you know, the health of our nervous system, our emotional health, our spiritual health is so important when it comes to our physical health. And I'm excited about just seeing how that we can continue to use that. The more that we can talk about it, the more that we can help our patients, empower our patients to address that aspect of their health. Um, I think that we're going to start to see, you know, a really big impact in, in how people feel their disease symptoms, but also just their, you know, their fulfillment and their happiness and their joy in life. Besides signing up to, you know, be a wild health patient, (laughs) what, is maybe one or two, maybe three things that somebody could go do today to see drastic changes, positive impacts in their life? Wow. Okay. How do I pick three? It's all, you know, so at Wild Health, we're all about personalized (laughs) precision medicine. So, so much of what we recommend is really personalized to your situation. So if I have to make three general recommendations, I think for one is going to be probably the most important is taking an inventory of, like you said, your purpose, identifying with your why, you know, what your beliefs are about just, you know, why you're here and and then taking a, a strong inventory of your relationship. So asking yourself, you know, who are the people I spend the most time with? Are there, are there things that need to be said that haven't been said? Like, am I able to be fully authentic in those relationships? Um, are there things I need to apologize for? Or maybe need to share with people that, um, you know, they did things that hurt me, but I didn't really share that with them. Um, being able to be really fully uh, real in those relationships, maybe letting go of relationships that aren't serving you anymore. Um, noticing how much 
the people you spend your time with affect who you are and being intentional about that. Um, so that's one, I kind of lumped two together. (laughs) Um, and then I will say, it's hard to pick just two. I will say, you know, eating real food is going to have a huge impact. You know, what we put into our bodies is what makes our bodies. And so if we give ourselves good quality fuel and, and eat real food, very nutrient rich food, um, that's going to support great health. Um, and then it's hard to pick between sleep and exercise, but I think we need to move our bodies and in a way that is not just doing an intense workout for 20 minutes, but we're moving throughout the day. I notice on my whoop, I don't know if you notice as well, but I have some of my highest strain scores on days where I don't do a quote unquote workout, but I'm just super active during the day. Um, and then, and then, you know, I'm, I'm going way more. I'm going for five. Is that okay? That's totally fine. No <laughs> bonus, double bonus here. <laughs> and then I think sleep, you know, sleep is incredibly important. So, um, I think it's one of those things that now is people know and they understand how important it is, but, but for so long, it was this, this attitude of, you know, you know, I'll just sleep when I'm dead or whatever. And (laughs) I think, you know, it has such a huge impact on our ability for our brains to recover, for us to integrate information, for us to, um, you know, be able to process and, you know, think about cleaning out all the kind of damaged cells and things like that. So, so I think sleep is incredibly important and emphasizing, you know, quality and quantity. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that we can do that and look at that with our patients. And I think having a sleep tracker, like you're talking about with your group is really valuable because you can do all kinds of experiments and see what really works for you and, and feel sure of it based on the data instead of guessing. I asked for one, I got five. That's what I call over delivering right there. That's good stuff. <laughs> cool. Couple more questions for you, Julie. The first one is I, I got to, I kind of asked you this earlier on, but I got to reverse the script on, on you is what is a healthy life look like for you? <laughs> That's a good one. I, so I, I referred to it a little bit earlier, but to me, it's being able to live out your purpose. So for whatever you feel that your purpose is, why you're here on this earth to be able to use your gifts to their fullest extent and become the best version of yourself, hopefully so that you're making the world a better place and helping the people around you and for your health, not to inhibit that, but to support that. I love that. That's so good. My last question for you is one that I ask all of my guests. This is the peer, this is the peer ambition podcast. So when you hear those words, peer ambition, specifically ambition, what does that mean to you and how does that apply to your daily life? Wow. Ambition. To me, I think it means thinking big and striving for something that's maybe a little bit scary. Um, that's really pushing you outside your comfort zone. I think as I, as I referred to, you know, in your, in the previous question, I think we all have a a purpose here in the world. And I think so many people maybe are afraid to even ask ourselves that question or to think about what their purpose might be. We have this tendency to want to make ourselves small or minimize, you know, our gifts, minimize the reasons why we're here. And I think we all have a really big purpose. And so it's embracing that and setting those goals and still not, not to the point of realizing that if we don't reach them, you know, we're not going to be hard on ourselves, but it's having that, like you said, that ambition, reaching a little bit higher, wanting to use our lives for the greatest purpose and chasing it um, instead of maybe just staying in a place that's more comfortable. Mm. It's like grateful, but never content, you know, always, always striving for more. So I love that. That's right. It's it's a balance and it's a, it's a hard balance to have this balance of, you know, having gratitude, loving yourself, being, being very happy with where you are, but also still wanting to become your best. Um, and not, not to driving it. There's a, there's a difference between this attitude of perfection where you feel like you're chasing this unattainable goal and you're always going to be, this is where I fell into for so long. You're always your own worst critic and you're being really hard on yourself and you don't really love yourself. And you're always trying to fill some void versus really loving yourself. And as a result of doing that, you're wanting to be the best you can be. 
That is so good. You nailed it home right there. <laughs> My last thing for you, Julie, I just want to say thank you for just all of the insight that you provided today for your vulnerability, for your openness, and just for all the value that you provided. My last thing is just a quick three. So just three okay. quick questions, have a little fun, let the audience right. know a different so I'm not side of the on these. I have to keep it quick. <laughs> hey, there's no rules here. No rules here. No rules here. Um, number one is if you could train with anybody, one training partner, who would it be? Uh, Simone Biles. Yeah, she's a beast. She's a beast. Second thing is, I know we've talked about a lot of, a lot about good food and fueling yourself with, you know, good proper nutrition or whatever, but mm -hmm. you're going you're to dive off the deep end a little bit. What's your go-to cheat meal? Anything with chocolate. I love chocolate. Yes. I would have to agree with that. <laughs> Last question is what is one book podcast, you know, any sort of resource that's really had a positive impact over on you over the past year that you would recommend to people? I would recommend the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. It is a fantastic book and has changed the way that I thought about a lot of things. Beautiful. I will definitely add that to the list. I've heard that. Awesome. Uh, I've actually heard that recommended before. So I'm going to have to check it oh, out. It's a good one. You got to check it out, Dom. I will. So Julie, thank you so much for everything today. If people want to learn more about you, consume more of your content, learn more about wild health, where can they do that? Awesome. Well, I am on my podcast is called Pursuing Health, as you mentioned. And then I'm on Instagram at Julie Boucher. And to learn more about Wild Health, you can check us out at wildhealth.com. We also have a podcast, Wild Health Podcast. Wild Health, I think it's Wild Health MD on Instagram. And then for anyone who's interested in trying out Wild Health as a patient, we also have a discount code for you. So WILDCF20. Um, should get you 20% off if you want to sign up as a patient. I am so stoked to get my report and that <laughs> deeper into, into my experience with wild health, but yes, definitely. And I think I, I believe I have a, a code, so I, I'll link that in the, in the description Perfect. as well. Perfect. Julie, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I look forward to all that you will accomplish moving forward. Awesome. Thank you so much. Tom. And I'm excited to see, you know, what you learned from wild health and how your experience goes. We'll have to do a follow-up. Sounds good. Thank you guys for tuning into another episode of the Pure Ambition Podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform that you are listening as it helps the show grow so that we can reach more people with the intent of empowering others to become the best versions of themselves and live a life worth remembering. If you're ready to take your fitness, mindset, and lifestyle to the next level, head to the link in the show notes and join the Pure Ambition group on Upspace for workouts, recipes, routines, and a community ready to help you thrive. See you in the next one.